Welcome back to the Jewish Growth Podcast. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. It is great to be with you today. Sometimes one person in my family will start to get into something, and then pretty soon it becomes a full family project. This happened recently when my wife had to read the book Endurance for her graduate school program, which led to our whole family reading the book. Endurance is the unbelievable but true story of how Ernest Shackleton and his entire crew survived their expedition to the South Pole around 1915, when the ship became stuck in deep ice with no way to extricate it. 28 men were trapped in Antarctica. They had no way of communicating, much less traversing the treacherous Weddell Sea to reach civilization. Now, how they survived is a story for the ages. Trapped on massive ice drifts in the ocean for about a year, the crew finally managed to get their small boats to water, open water, where they traversed a raging sea to Elephant Island, which is really a tiny formation of rock cliffs sticking out of the icy sea. And from there, a small group took one of the boats 800 miles to the South Georgia Island, navigating a small boat through a brutal sea and hitting their target of a 100-mile-wide island. This Taking this trip was a wild gamble, but it was the only chance they had, and their success entailed many miracles. As the title Endurance suggests, the miracles came at the heels of an invincible human spirit, not to mention near-death experiences. I came across a video on YouTube depicting the terror of what seven days of travel on the Weddell Sea would have looked like. This journey took them, literally, to the edge of human life. There's so much to dig into in this story, from the leadership of Shackleton and his captain, Frank Worsley, to the story of living in a frozen world off the terra firma. But what I kept asking myself as I read this was, how do they manage to survive? Now, there are technical answers, but there's also a deeper human spirit, a deeper theme of that human spirit that desires life. We have a will to live, and that will can seem invincible. There's nothing more basic to a human being than our desire for life. But what is life? What drives people? How do we navigate the stormiest of seas? As Jews, we think a lot about the meaning of life, its existence, life, Chaim. We talk about Eitz Chaim, the tree of life, waters of life, Torah Chaim, the Torah of life, and Chaye Olam, eternal life. Even the number 18, Chai, is so ubiquitous as we give tzedakah in increments of Chai, or life. But what is Chaim? When the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, we were thrust into a desolate wilderness, separated from civilization. In that stage, the Almighty presented a foundational idea to the Jewish people. Kamasa Eretz Mitzrayim, asher yeshavtem tasu. Like the deeds of Mitzrayim, where you dwelled, you shall not do. And like the deeds of the land of Canaan that I'm bringing you to, you shall not do. But you shall guard my statutes and my laws, that a man shall perform and live in them. Both the place that you came from, and the civilization that you're going to cannot define you. Regardless of where you are, you were always set apart as the Jewish people. And we're not defined by anything but the mitzvot 
Asher yasa osam ha'adam v'chai behem, that a person shall perform and live in them. So, as the Torah points to how singular we are, it sheds light on where we derive life from, the mitzvot. But what does it mean to live in the mitzvot? Rashi comments that living in mitzvot refers to a life in olam haba, life in the world to come. She'im tomar b'olam hazeh, Rashi says, halo sofo him who makes. If you would say that the verse refers to life in this world, does a person not die in the end? Rashi exclaims. Even a person who is meticulous in observance of halacha will die, just like every other human being on the planet. And so the meaning of living in the mitzvot, as the verse says, can only be that mitzvot bestow life upon us ultimately in the next world. Now, it's understood that the life that mitzvot bestow does begin in this world. After all, eternal life in the next world is part of a relationship that we form with our Creator in this world through mitzvot. So for sure, the life that mitzvot entails begins in this world as we start to forge that connection that we will enjoy in this world and benefit from eternally. And yet, Rashi insists that the main meaning of our command to fulfill mitzvot and live in them refers to the eternal life of the hereafter. That is the essential life that we acquire. An important part of this verse in Vayikra 18 is that it comes in the midst of a discussion about life at the end of Acharemos. This verse is telling us to act neither like Mitzrayim nor Canaan, and it's part of an introduction to one of two codes of sexual morality presented in Vayikra. The sexual drive is the drive for life. It's the drive to reproduce, to continue ourselves, our species. People might think that an open society without boundaries is the best way to promote life, because that way everyone can pursue life as they see fit. And yet the Torah insists, these are the laws you shall fulfill and live within them. While we might think that mitzvot limit us, in truth, the word of Hashem imposed upon our pursuit of life is a source of life. But why is that? An answer can be found in Devarim 30, where the Torah exhorts us to choose life. If we cling to God, then by definition, the Torah says, we are clinging to life. Because Hashem is your life and the length of your days. And so you shall love God, hearken to his voice, and cling to him, because God is the source of all life. And given that Hashem is life, even the moments when we're deprived of the pleasures of normal life, those moments still can be moments of true living. The Torah says and descri- describes the Yom Kippur Avoda, and it instructs us, you shall afflict your souls, referring to our Yom Kippur fast. Affliction might seem like something that takes away from life, and yet, Yom Kippur is a day that we stand before God. Lifne Hashem titaru, before God, in God's presence, we become purified. It's a day when we find life in purity, in the presence of God, even without the, the normal pleasures, the necessities of life. And so for a Jew, that day of affliction is very much about life. 
people have different ways of defining life. When Ernest Shackleton set out on his voyage in the Endurance, he had a specific mission in mind. He wanted to be the first to cross Antarctica, which was a complete and unknown frontier. He was so committed to this vision that he put himself and his crew at a lot of risk to achieve this. And in fact, on his initial voyage south, as he left civilization at South Georgia Island, the local whalers warned him that the waters were much more icy than usual and that he should not proceed. He ignored their advice. And as he began that journey, he defined his life in terms of this consuming goal of the glory of crossing Antarctica. But as the crew ran into trouble, his definition of life changed to mere physical survival. Some people define life in terms of fame, wealth, or social status. People define life in terms of a level of comfort that they're looking for. And just as the Torah turns the codes of sexual conduct, Hashem says to us, These are the mitzvot, Asher yasa osam ha'adam v'chai behem, that you shall perform and live in them. This reflects the Torah's definition of life. When the will of God is reflected in our pursuit of life, that's where we find the true substance of life. But what does this look like on a practical level? When we define something as life, then we're willing to go to great lengths to achieve that. I read about someone who used to be a coal miner. He's now a body trainer. And he says that when he used to spend 10 hours a day, a thousand feet underground in a coal mine, he still went to the gym at night to train. You can see something from there about how he defines life. As I'm recording, I'm looking at this past week, the Jewish people marked Yom HaShoah just a couple days ago. There's so many stories that people shared about Jews pursuing life, even in the shadow of death. One figure who personified this was the Klausenberger Rebbe of Yekusiel Yehuda Halberstam. The Rebbe's devotion to mitzvot was completely out of this world. He attempted and largely succeeded in remaining fully observant of Torah in inhuman conditions. Throughout the Holocaust, he never touched non-kosher food and refused to eat food cooked in a non-kosher pot, going beyond what he was required to do. He would spend hours collecting drips of water so he could have the requisite amount of water to wash Natilas Yadayim before eating bread. Once in a Tishabav, he helped some of his follow- followers discover tiny wellsprings in the ground to drink from, though he still maintained his fast. He constantly encouraged those around him, assuring them that God was with them, even in the valley of death. On Yom Kippur in 1945, General Dwight D. Eisenhower visited the camps and came to see Rabbi Halberstam, who was known as a wonder rabbi. The rabbi refused to speak with the general until he finished his prayers. I was praying to the general of generals, the king of kings, so the earthly general had to wait, he explained to Eisenhower. Impressed, General Eisenhower asked if there was anything he could do to help. And Halberstam asked for a small sample of the four species so that he and other survivors could fulfill the mitzvot of the upcoming Chag of Sukkot. This is a model of how a Jew sees life. Even in moments when we're deprived of the necessities of life, our will for life awakens us to the mitzvot. Asher yasa osam ha'adam v'chai behem that a person shall perform and live within them. Thanks for being with me today. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.